Today on Com Talk, we're talking about Superman Smashes the Clan Part 2 with my good friend, Carlos. Okay, what is happening here? Where are we? Glix, give us a situation report. Currently, we are on the planet Geekery. Be warned, our impossibility drive may cause distortions oh. as we traverse this land. Impending impossibility engaging in 3, oh gosh. 2, oh 1. Hello, Devoted Geeks. Welcome to Calm Talk, the podcast extension of Geek Devotions, a show from Devoted Geeks who are devoted to letting you know that you are loved. I'm Dallas. With me, as I said before, is... Carlos. Good to see you guys. Yeah, Carlos Renfro. Glad to have you here with us, man. Great it's been be a, here, man. It's been a while since you've been with us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, for those of you who are just listening to us only on on podcast, this is going to be available on YouTube, uh, unlike our normal video wave that we have. Uh, we have uh, actual video. And uh, for today, for episode 82, we're going to be talking about the continuation from ComTalk episode 65, yeah. where we talked about a really interesting book, which was called Superman Smashes the Clan, which is a adaptation of a radio drama yep. uh, from back in the day where uh, Superman actually fights off, fights the, the KKK. Yes. Now, uh, we need to give some context because it's been a while for some people. We got some new listeners and some new viewers um, since that your episode came yep. out, and so let's just give some context for some folks and everything. Um, Carlos, what do you remember about the background story about this book? Well, the background what about the book itself or the story? Uh, the story, the, the 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 book itself, how the story, how the book came about. Well, how it came about or yeah, yeah. the story. Well, this story was originally a radio drama. Right. Um, and at that time, this is in the this is the height of in the height of Jim Crow America, and the KKK was a thing then. Um, and this producer for the radio radio for the radio drama was actually trying to get you no know, news stories and things actually out there about what the KKK was doing, and he really couldn't get any traction in the media. So this was kind of converted into a radio drama form using Superman as a protagonist right. to kind of shed light on real life events using the fictional storyline. Mm-hmm. And it was adapted as a radio drama. Right. And it shook a lot of place because he actually took the stuff originally to um, actual um, authorities, like government authorities, and they're like, we're not going to touch this. Yeah. So this was kind of a bombshell thing. It was. People were scared of, scared <laughs> of the KKK. <laughs> they were, man. They were a legit thing. And and um, so uh, last time we talked about the story, and uh, it's a really interesting story, this, uh, this um, being presented to us through this book, which, again, is the adaptation. And um, it's done by a guy named Gene Lun Yang. Yes. And Gene um, is, I can see why he's attached to it. He himself is, um, he's, he's an Asian American. And um, the story itself, I think when people think about the Klan, they automatically think it's going to deal specifically with um, Caucasians versus African Americans. Right. Um, which is very logical for the conversation. And we see that play out a little bit in the book, but this is actually dealing, focusing around a uh, Asian American family, immigrants that came to our country. And uh, it's following a, uh, a young lady named uh, Roberta and her brother Lee and, uh, and her parents. And they had kind of, um, her dad's a, a scientist of some yeah. sort. Mm-hmm. And, in a lab. Yeah, and um, he kind of works his way up the ladder, and he's got a promotion. He's moved his family out of uh, Chinatown, of Metropolis, and he's moved into a nicer area, and he's doing well for himself. 
and she's having to navigate this stuff as a young lady. Right. And um, unfortunately, in this area, there is the KKK, there is. and they are uh, they don't like these individuals. No, they and don't. We find that the KKK has her hands in a lot of the air, a lot of moving parts of the area, including her father's job. And uh, along the way, they meet a young boy and um whose uncle is one of like like i forgot what they called i think grand they, scorpion they called him a grand scorpion yeah something like that they didn't use some of the official terms <laughs> of the kkk but they called him the grand scorpion right and um as a grand scorpion uh, he's trying to teach his nephew the the proper way of right. america which is i'm not gonna lie I'm, I'm gonna tell you guys right now this was really hard for me to read a lot of this and to listen to the radio drama itself right it's not an easy if, if you're sensitive to this which most people are in some shape form or fashion it's not an easy right. it's not an easy read or easy to listen you kind of have to wrap your, your mind around that they're trying to make a point with the story exactly and it's kind of off it's weird because it's done in such an interesting art style that's very uh saturday morning cartoon you think yes and so uh, it's a really of interesting storyline the way it works out. At the same time, you have Superman, and again, this is 1940s Superman. Yeah, and uh, it's important for people to remember this isn't the Superman that we have like right now, where you know he is like impossible to beat. You know, right? <laughs> and th- and that's what I find very interesting about this story is you're not only learning the story of what's going on with the characters here is superman is really learning himself in this story exactly so you're getting to see him develop very dynamically in the storyline right so it's a really interesting aspect of him growing learning his powers he can't even fly yet no and no. and we see a little bit of it happen but in book right. two but he can't fly he doesn't know how to do, use x-ray vision yeah he's growing and so that's kind of the 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 grasp of this world and again if you want a full breakdown of what happens in the first book i want to encourage you guys please check out the first episodes links are in the description down below absolutely um, both here on youtube and also on uh your podcast feed so all that being said <laughs> We're getting caught up now. Yes. And uh, and again, I think it's important for people to understand uh, we're having this conversation. We're going to be getting into some um, some deep stuff. Like Carl said, this is if you're sensitive to some of the stuff, uh, it may be hard for you to hear some of the things we're about to say. And um, and for people who aren't watching the YouTube, you're only listening to um, the podcast on your podcast catcher. Um, I, I want you to understand, uh, Carlos is an African-American. I am. Uh, <laughs> born and raised a uh, uh, black man. Who um, who is a a very godly man? Uh, I appreciate your friendship, and uh, I'm really excited to have you on our show. Every time you're here, it's great. I definitely appreciate you. You're you and your wonderful wife, your family. It's <laughs> it's, it's it's great to have good people around you. Absolutely, it is. Um, so let's get into it, man. Let's talk about the story. What happens in book two, and then after a commercial break, we're going to talk about some of the deeper themes that take place. Book one ends, and they're mm-hmm. searching for Lee. Uh, the KKK has has kidnapped Roberta's brother. Mm-hmm. He tries to escape, and he's in a river. And so yep. Roberta uh, faces the uh, the young boy. Uh, I can't remember his name right now. Chuck. Chuck. That's right. Yeah. Chuck, who is the uh, the the Grand Scorpion's nephew, because she knows he knows something. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and Chuck is dealing with it. He's battling with yeah, these emotions. Chuck is very much in a push pull here. He. He in the in the back of his mind, he kind of realizes his uncle's stance when it comes to to minorities and immigrants isn't right. But after all, it's his uncle, and he's looked up to him. And he kind of hints to the fact that that he's to help take care of their family exactly. in, this, in this episode. So he's really torn right. between how he should feel about this. Right. So it's uh. So she faces off, and they're off to go find 
Um, Tommy. Tommy. <laughs> and so that's where the book picks up. And um, it's interesting because, again, Superman's not flying. No, he's <laughs> running and skipping and hopping and jumping. Like, I think he's actually running on the water at one point. Yeah. And uh, he's hopping and skipping, trying to figure out where this kid is. And then he has this weird thing where he sees these two little green men mm-hmm. are, are a green man and a green woman. And um, they're his parents. Yes. Um, I haven't done the research enough into it. And maybe those of you guys who are listening well, or watching. It seems like it's a perception thing to him because he yeah. sees them as a man and as a woman, as his parents. But he sees them very much in an alien form mm-hmm. in the classic way that we would think is alien is green men with antenna and right. red eyes and, and you know, kind of red bug <laughs> eyes. You know, it's, and it's kind of freaking them out. Right. It's it legitimately, it's kind of a weird scene and, uh, they're, they're looking at him, and, um, I'm looking on, for those of you watching on YouTube, it's on my phone is where I have the book and Carlos has got this nice big iPad he's using. I, I have not so great, eyes. <laughs> but they're, they're encouraging them. They tell uh, Clark to look through and all of a sudden the x-ray vision kicks in and you could tell like he's kind of freaked out by it because yeah, he he's doesn't never really know that. what to think. And so he's surprised by that. Um, and of course, uh, then the police officer shows up and they take Tommy off uh, to take care of some certain things. Um, he does have a broken arm that he needs to go to the hospital. Um, they find him in the river, they get him up, and he's fine. Right. Um, but he does have to be taken to the hospital with a broken arm. Right. So this story picks up, um, I, I would say, after um, the initial introduction of everything. Um, the first book does a great job of establishing the world. Right. This one, it, it's just a natural flow of the story. Right. You really have to understand what happened in the first book to pick up. They're, they're very much sequential. Right. You have, you're really not going to understand what's happening in the second book if you haven't read the first. Right. So in this one, um, again, the first one you have the introduction of, you know, who's the KKK and who, what's all this stuff happening. This one, though, um, it seems to be, in my opinion... And tell me if you're wrong, if I'm wrong. It seems to focus more, a little bit more, on the peculiar issues that Superman's having. Right. It takes time with Superman to kind of develop his character, give you a little bit of. It, there are several flashbacks, even in the first book. There are several flashbacks to his childhood mm-hmm. and him growing up and establishing and remembering that he was different, right? And things that were going going on. And this book kind of felt like the character development book, mm-hmm. even with the kids. You know, right. you, there are some things that we'll get to that happens in the, in the story with the young people. Right. It's kind of unfolding their character and giving giving some breathing space for the, for there to be some time for character development, right? And but I think they do a great job. Like it doesn't feel rushed to no, me. No, it's very well paced. I can say that it's very well paced. Right. And um, I think even the way that they handle some of the um, the deeper issues, mm-hmm. I think it's tasteful. Um, they're not like you know hand fisting some things. We talked about that last time. Right. Was um, we were nervous going into the book because we're like, all right, what are they gonna, are they going to hand fist some 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 agendas here? Right. Yeah. It seems very realistic the way yeah. it plays out. It seems very true to the story. It seems very true to the storyline. Um, the language that they use is very true. It's not. It's not anything that's vulgar or offensive, but it's very true to the to the time period. Mm-hmm. Um, even even them referring to the to the Chinese immigrants as Ching Chongs, and right. no things like that. No, not something that's that's vulgar, but it was something that that would have been probably acceptable language at the time probably and it's very and it's very true to the story exactly to the time period and again i think it's important for people to understand the time period this is um 
basically World War II time yeah. frame, like post World War II, yeah, really. Post World War II, and um, you get that inflection in the first in the first villain in the first book, exactly. And so you're dealing with all these emotions, and I, like I said, I just I appreciate that um, um, the writers in, of this book he did a great job of really honoring the tone, yes, of the era. Uh, was there anything about this particular book you really enjoyed? Um, like I said, I really enjoyed the space that they gave the book, the book and the characters to breathe. Um, mm-hmm. You had opportunity where even Roberta runs to her old friends uh, from Chinatown, right? And there's a conflict. Or, well, you've moved on. Are do you think you're better than us? Right. You know, you're here with here with your <laughs> with your other friends, and it's obvious to them that they mean you're here with your other friends or your white friends. You know, because she's and there's a scenario if you read the book where they end up um, Chuck and trying to do the right thing gets them to go to a movie to to move them out of harm's way from the right. nefarious deeds of his uncle. And you see now she runs into her old friends from Chinatown. Right. And now they kind of got the Jefferson thing going on where they're moving on up. <laughs> and and their friends in some way sort of resent that. Right. You know, Roberta is kind of she's kind of she's torn between, you know, embracing because at the beginning of the first book, she really struggled with the move and really struggled with her new surroundings. Right. So now she's torn between embracing, you know, where she's going because after, you know, Superman rescues her brother and everything, they're kind of, everybody's kind of fascinated with them. They want to know, did you get to meet Superman? She right. has she has a coat that, <laughs> that her mom sold out of the cape that Superman gave her. Right. And so now they've gone from being the new kids on the block and being these immigrant kids that are, right. that are out of place to suddenly being the popular kids. Exactly. Exactly. And so she wants to embrace that, but then she sees her old friends for Chinatown and she wants to to make sure that they understand that hey, I'm still the same person. Nothing right. changed, but their friends don't see it that way. Exactly. So in the middle of having everybody around her, you can kind of see almost still feels alone. Right. You know, and, and even with Chuck, you see the push pull in his character, him mm-hmm. trying to him trying to dump the the teachings that his uncle is trying to put forward to mm-hmm. him. His mom kind of being on the fence, not really yeah. on either one side or the other, but in his heart of hearts, feeling like he needs to do the right thing because right. he can see Tommy Roberta and they're, they're not they're not bad people, right? And he doesn't understand what why his uncle's feels the way he feels. What I appreciate though, like with his storyline and and with Roberta, it's very real. Like we see this, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more in depth on the on the back on the second half of the show, but. It feels like it's a real scenario. Yeah. Like you see, mm-hmm. like like he's dealing with the emotions of like, you know, look, you know, this uncle's been there for me. He's yeah. taking care of us. Yeah. How can he be a terrible individual? But then seeing right. the spans of it, it it's it, that he's willing to harm others to, right. to get what he wants. It shows you that the dealing with the emotions of the stuff, while right and wrong are very black and white, right? Dealing with people. It's a very muddy thing. Yeah, and this does a there. great job of showing you right, yeah. the, the emotions people have to deal with. You know what's right and wrong, but they do a good job of of projecting the the perspectives of the characters to see why, even if it's wrong, why they think the way that they think. Exactly. And they don't and they don't, you know, try to to push one idea or the other, at least not to this not to this point of the story. Right. Um, they don't they don't make you choose, but they intentionally kind of muddy the waters mm. in how people uh, how people how each side is feeling the way that they feel. Right. Now it's like like I said, it's pretty clear, like we know what right and wrong is. <laughs> right, yeah. We <laughs> like know it, what right and wrong is. And it is. shows you like like it does a great job of like like the when you're dealing with the KKK, who's the obvious bad guys of the storyline. I mean they're 
they're drawn like bad guys, yeah. which is interesting. Um, yeah, even the artwork. Yeah. Um, so there's other aspects happening in the story. Um, we have the mystery of what's actually happening in the lab uh, of the story. And um, again, it's it's about halfway through the book. Which they don't spoil for you. Yeah, we're trying not to spoil too much stuff, but you, you're looking at it and Lois is trying to do some investigation and she just can't get anywhere. Uh, but she does walk into a lab and you see this dude floating in a tank. Yep. And um, I'm not going to lie, man. It, it's giving me some feels. Like I'm wondering if it's this lab is trying to create their own uh, Superman. Right. Like what's going on in this lab? <laughs> and, and Lois is quickly escorted out of there. And you really don't get any answers. At all. No, it, they kind of, it's almost, a, it's a little teaser. They mm-hmm. drop that portion of the storyline on you in the middle of the story and they just kind of leave it there. Right. Yeah, like like if you wanna you wanna know what Lois was looking at, you gotta you gotta tune back in. <laughs> you gotta do it. We're not we're not telling you anything. Right. And of course Superman, he's like they're they're dealing with him at the same time and she's trying to tell him some stuff and he keeps spacing out. Yeah. Like the story's like really following him to a degree. Right. Like she's just really is just to the side. Um but I'm legitimate because every time she's like, Well, look, here's this thing, and then he spaces out because he hears something or right. he sees something. Yeah, he's getting flashes of the alien parents or right. he's or he's backtracking to his childhood yeah. and remembering things. And I'm sitting there going, I need you to focus, dude, because I want to know what the heck she's thinking. Exactly. Like, what's they, going on here, brother? They do a great job of making you want to know what's happening. Well, they're using Superman's conflict as a as a means and a way to draw the story out. Exactly. And it's and it's not to be menial. Mm-hmm. What Superman is going through is important. Right. Because he needs to understand and establish his identity and who he is right and what he can actually do that's part of what the what the alien parents keep keep bugging them by hey dude you're you're not doing everything you can do <laughs> and he doesn't understand that he actually wants them to leave him alone right i think they have it's a really great line again we're gonna talk a little bit more into this later but they keep asking why do you want to be half of who you are yeah and uh that's a really interesting conversation when you're dealing with people who are dealing with a a cultural change right a cultural shift and yeah, because so, you have to remember that that the Lees aren't the only ones who are filling out a place in an environment. Mm-hmm. And Superman himself, knowing that he now at this point as an adult, knowing he's not from Earth, right, is dealing with that same conflict. Exactly, and he's trying to hide it, <laughs> and 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 not well at times. No, not well, not well at the time. <laughs> so, again, we have we have the mystery of what's happening in the lab. We have. Um, you got this conflict where Chuck is trying to deal with his family, and but also he's he's come to discover because he he's gone done life with these people. You got Tommy who's developing a friendship with Chuck. Tommy is a Tommy is the he is he is very much the glass half full guy in the story. Yeah, he's very redemptive, very forgiving, mm-hmm. and he and he's the one that's kind of taking the challenge head on mm-hmm. to embrace the relationships in their move. Roberta is very much the opposite. She's hesitant. She's afraid. She she gets nervous. She throws up. You know, no, that's that's <laughs> one of the things she does. She gets nervous. She throws up. Right. And but Tommy's the opposite. He's kind of taking the bull by the horns on this, mm-hmm. almost to a point where it where the people around him feel like it's almost foolish. Right. You know. So he's very much the opposite of his sister. They kind of balance each other out well. Right. And he he tries his best to he intentionally does does things to to prop her up. Yeah. To make her look better. To make her feel better. Exactly. So even around the other people, he does things with the other kids. Right. To make her he he was the one that gave her the opportunity to say, hey, check out her jacket. Yeah. yeah. She got that from Superman. Yeah. So just so that the other kids would think she's cool. Exactly. You know, he's very much the glass half half full person. Right. He's with, always trying to string along the good. Yeah. And then like the first book, like that 
you know, Roberta, her viewpoint is that he's just kind of a jerk. Yeah. And uh, and she struggled with the fact because she thinks that he's he's trying too hard to fit in. Right. But now she's coming to a natural point where she's developing friendships with people. Right. And what? she sees why she sees the she's beginning to see the method behind his madness on why he's pressing so much is because he's trying to he's trying to bridge that gap of normalcy and try to bring things together right. so that so that that adjustment period is shorter and mm-hmm. that they can they can grab relationships and people around them. Right, exactly. And he doesn't she doesn't realize that he's actually trying to do a good thing for her. He's not trying to press her or put her down. Right. Which I think is a conflict a lot of people have when they're they're in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. She's definitely the uh, the shy, locked away person. Mm-hmm. And when you have somebody who's super like outgoing yeah. pushing you, it's, it's yeah. awkward. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's an athlete. He's very extroverted, right? You know, so he's used to being in front of people. He used to perform, right? He's and he's not afraid to do that. Exactly. She's, she's not that type. She's more the she's the nurturing kind of the caring type. She's her her mother never speaks English in the in the comic. Mm-hmm. It it takes her text and put it in red just to show that she's speaking back and forth right. with them in Chinese while right. they're speaking to her in English. So she kind of has that feeling. She's really close to her mother she kind of has that reservedness like her mother does. right absolutely so um again I tr- we're trying not to give you guys spoilers because we want you guys to read the book these books and uh you can get them on comiXology and other places um you can actually the, all three books are already out yep so you can get it on a whole graphic novel so again we're not finally trying to, out finally <laughs> yeah. finally got our hands on them um but the the ending scenes of it um I would say we're pretty intense. Very intense. It is very much the action verb of the, of the story so far. Like I, I think this was more intense uh, as far than than the first book. Uh, the first book was obviously it ends with uh, the the high point of uh, of intense. Like what's happening? They kidnap Tommy yeah. and all this other <laughs> stuff. And but this one, like you see um, more of the 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 clansmen. And like, right. like, dude is like straight up like excited to die. Yeah, yeah. For for this cause, like they're not just like some idiots. Like they no. really believe this. Like they're this completely is invested city. in this ideology. Right. Yeah. Which is like for us, like we're we're people are looking like, dude, you're an idiot. Yeah. It's wild to go, man. This is how how martyrdom for cults happen. Yeah, absolutely. Because people are like just so sold to it. Right. You see that they are very willing to go to extremes Mm -hmm. to support what they believe. Mm -hmm. And they think, and you can tell in the way that it's written, Mm -hmm. of course they're the bad guys, but you can tell from their perspective that they think that they're doing a good thing. Right. And even even Tommy's mom is kind of on the fence. Oh, it's no big deal. Yeah. She treats it like it's no big deal for her for her you know for his his uncle to kind of want to, as she said, to be with his own kind. Right. What's wrong? She's like, what's wrong with that? You know. So you really get insight into the into the thinking, into the right. mindset of that of that time period, and they're true to it. It only they didn't, don't inject any 2019, 2020 no. into it. It's it's purely in the day and age that it was, yep. which is important. And we're going to get a little more to that. We're going to take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the deeper themes that take place in the book. We're going to talk about uh, maybe some cultural aspects that we deal with here today that are reflected in this book itself. And so uh, all that's coming up soon. All right. So what we like to do here on the Retro Rewind podcast is at the end of our like section, we do our classic makers, the things that we loved most about the movies we cover. I'll start us off. Then we'll go to Paul. The thing I loved most about The Princess Bride was probably the the dueling sword scene between Inigo and uh, and and uh, Dread Pirate Roberts, Wesley. That's just such a great sword fight scene. I love that they use the actual fencing like terminology and 
and techniques. And yeah. the the only little quibble I have is when Wesley oh, does his perfect. spinning. Talking about his, the best sword fight scene ever. Yes, but when Wesley does his gymnastics high bar routine and lands, you can see the 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 pillow bag or the the mat puff up with the dust. Uh, you see the outline of it, so it's not perfect. But right, that is that is my favorite part about Princess Bride. How about you, Paul? I my favorite thing about the Princess Bride is the movie The Princess Bride. I just love that it exists. I love the story. I love the characters. I love the cast. I I love the interaction. It's it's just a great. It's one of my top favorite films of all time. So I like but, the whole movie. Paul, how can that be yeah. your top movie when? As good as that sword fight is between Wesley and uh, and Inigo, I feel like the one between Inigo and the Six Finger Man should be even more epic, and it's sort of like isn't no, isn't no. as good. He's not better. No, that it, it will be less because Wesley's better, so therefore that fight would be better. All right, fine. You know what? All right, well, I guess. But now we do have to talk about. Oh, darn it! I always do this. How come I cannot remember one more thing I liked? Calm Talk by Geek Devotions. You're listening to it right now. All right, and we're back. We appreciate you guys listening to that commercial. I want to encourage you guys, please, please, please check out our friends over at Retro Rewind Podcast. They're fantastic individuals, and uh, they have a great podcast that I think will encourage you uh, in more ways than one. Um, I, I find that laughter is a yeah. fantastic encouragement and yes. i don't i can't help but laugh when i'm when i'm listening to those guys yeah oh yeah and and laughter is a good tool but not just that kind of reflective you know you right. know with retro rewind it kind of it kind of gets you an opportunity to look back on some <laughs> some of the absurdities of the oh, yeah. <laughs> it's awesome and what's great about it is like they bring all these nostalgic feelings yeah, yeah. so uh i think that the, for some of you guys you're gonna really enjoy their show good guys um side note i will be on their show uh coming up uh um, I'm not really sure when the episode will air, but I'm going to be doing a recording later this month, and we're going to be talking about Ghostbusters, the Sweet, original Ghostbusters. The original. Movie. The only thing I can think of is, is Ray Parker Jr. <laughs> in the in the song. Oh my gosh! So, uh, off topic, but when was the last time you watched Ghostbusters? The original one? Yeah. Actually, it was. I saw parts of it not too long ago, like a couple of months ago. It was on in one of the break rooms. Of, oh yeah, of, of a place I was working at. And so it actually was like a couple of months ago, the last time I laid out on right. the original version. So, because ha I'm having to make up my mind of how I would rate it. Because you on retro, it's rated as classic, nostalgic, or tragic. Classic being, this is a great film. Everyone needs to watch it. Nostalgic means like, uh, if you liked it, don't spoil your memories of it. Right. Uh, you know, maybe watch it if you just want to. And tragic is like, please, please put it away. How would you rate it? I think it's a movie that actually, in the light of when it was made, kind of aged well. I mm -hmm. think it's classic. Yeah, I'm I'm leaning that way too. In my mindset. I'm looking forward to watching it again. Yeah, and getting a, a firm. I need to watch the whole thing again. Yeah. So if you want to know what my thoughts are on it, subscribe to Retro Rewind Podcast on your favorite podcast catcher right now. Yes. And uh, come back to this podcast, and uh, and you'll find out here in a couple of weeks. <laughs> yep, you will. <laughs> All right, so let's get into uh, some deeper conversations about Bat or Bat Bat Batman, Superman versus the Clan. Yeah. Uh, this is a um, this brought up some really interesting points, some interesting conversations that take place, and um, even some of the villainy that takes place within the KKK. Uh, so I'm there's just a lot to cover. I'm not sure where to begin. So Carlos, what's something that you saw in this? You're like, man, this is just something that just really hit home for me. Um, 
Yeah, and we talked we talked a little bit about it um with Roberta her interactions with her friends. She mm-hmm. she is now she's grown up in in Chinatown largely ethnically homogeneous culture and now she's in Metropolis where it's a lot more it's a lot more variety. Right. And she's around she's around a lot of white folks now. Yeah. Um and now there's this push pull between her and her friends. If now that she's with a new set of friends, they think she's cool and neato right. because she has she has a jacket made made for her <laughs> that that belonged to Superman. This little weird kid keeps asking if it smells like cotton candy and <laughs> <I'm not kidding. laughs> and, and, and things. And so now now she's neck deep in her popularity with her new surroundings. Right and now, her old friends look at that popularity as a threat to their culture. Right, and it's so like, hey, do you think you're better than us now? Right. Now that you now if you kind of climb the ladder, you're up in Metropolis. Right. Are you too good for us folks down here in Chinatown? Yeah. And she has to process that. Mm-hmm. She has to figure out what am I going to do with this. And one thing I like about this is that the children are allowed to process these things, and the adults aren't getting in the way and pushing stuff on mm. them in the storyline. You get a perspective of how the children are trying to process this, what's in the set, and they don't they don't they don't throw a moderator in there to kind of right. get in the way of that. They let them live it out. They right. let them, they let them struggle with, um, with, with that push pulled a little bit. Right. So, um, this is something you and I were talking off air. Uh, mm-hmm. I've seen this take place in mm-hmm. society today yeah. where you have people who have grown up, um, and it's not just a culture, like a culture, but like maybe in a, a, a poverty mindset and, um, somebody does well. Mm-hmm. And they're like, look, you know, I'm I'm doing this, and um, they move out of the move out of the ghetto, they move mm-hmm. out of the hood, they move out of the port of the slums, and all of a sudden they have family members, they have friends, and they uh, they're shunned by their community. They're these people who they've done life with all their lives for the simple fact of doing well and moving out. Yeah, I, I forgot who it was. Um, it was some artist many, many years ago, and he goes, "Nobody does well. Nobody makes money to stay in the ghetto. Yeah, they make money to get out of the ghetto. Right. And we shouldn't shame people for for doing just that. Right. Well, what it boils down to, it boils down to to a possibly insecurity in an individual mm-hmm. that they're the ones that feeling like they're being left behind. So you project that onto the person that's moving forward mm. and saying, well, you think that you're better than me. And it's not that that person always, and it could be in instances where they do, it can't, it's not always that person thinks they're better than you. It's that you think you're less than that person. Mm. And so it becomes a projection issue. And not, I've seen that I work in the tech industry and, and, I'm usually one of the few black people that work where I work. Mm-hmm. And I've seen in places that I go into and in businesses that I frequent um, because I'm a tech guy, I have access to the bosses. I have ex- access to the CEOs and to the managers and to the presidents of the company. And so people will see me walking around with those guys doing walkthroughs and pointing through things and having direct access to those things and say, Hey, you need this and you do that. And those people will listen to me. Right. And then people that are, are more in my, in my, that would be more connected to my social circle. You mm-hmm. know, if I know them, they kind of, they kind of look at me with a side eye, like, Oh, you walk around with Mr. Such and such. You must think you're better than us. Or you walk around with that guy. Or even when it comes to race, I'm around a lot of those white guys. Man. Right. And sometimes I'm in a place where the lay people, the laborers are in, in a place where are predominantly black and they don't talk to me. Mm. They don't talk to me like, Maybe they see me with management, upper management, and things. And sometimes it takes a minute 
to talk with those people or to work around those people or to get an opportunity with my with my job to interact with them and to serve them and to, and to fix things for them and show them that I care about everybody, right. where they'll begin to develop a relationship with me. Mm. And I've, I've seen that personally myself where it takes that from the outside looking in that, oh, you think you're better than us right. because you're around these people right. and not around. And, and, and I have to work actually to be intentional to overcome that perception for people. Mm. So what do you do? How do you work to overcome that perception of everyone going like, oh, look at you, Carlos. You're, you're better than – you must think you're better than us because, again, they're perceiving that – they're incorrectly perceiving that you're putting them down just by doing well. How do you work to overcome that without – damaging yourself because it feels like there comes a point where some people apologize to the point of self-deprecation right and they're no longer uh having joy in doing what they're doing so right. how do you do that use your opportunities and your positions to serve mm-hmm. um jesus said it you know that that the chief is among you'll be a servant to all and i was told by one of my professional mentors that real leadership is servanthood mm. if you interact with the people that feel like that and you show them servant servanthood like me being in tech i can interact with those people from from the highest upper management all the way down to the guy who just walked in the front door. Mm. But when I interact with that person and I have my hands on something that affects them, I show them that I am here to help you. Mm. I'm here so that your life and your work and your productivity is better. Mm. And if you have a problem, you got access to me. Right. If you you have a need, and I make sure people know that if you have a need, reach out to me. Right. You have access. And when they see that I genuinely, that I'm just doing my job from top to bottom, that I'm not brown nosing, I'm not trying to prop myself up. It's not about me, but it's about others. The people people to come off of that. You don't think you're better than me because you'll come down here and you'll serve me. You'll go up to the president of the company and fix his things. But you'll come come back here to the backside of the shop where it's an accident grease and you'll fix these things too. Right. You know, you just if you if you will serve people, right? If you will take in account what's important to them and support that too, mm-hmm. you no, know, as long as it's the right things and support that too, right? People will they'll they'll get to see a character rather than the avatar of what they think you are, <laughs> right? And I think that's a great uh, you said it right rather than an avatar of what they think you are. Uh, for those of you maybe you're not familiar avatars are these digital personas that we have out on the internet they're normally like your profile picture or something like that and and back in the day it, the avatar was normally looked a lot better than you yes yes <laughs> most of mine do <laughs> so but people they form their own avatar they mm-hmm. form this own reality and i remember uh, it's weird with like in the early days of the internet, um, you know, you'd meet people and they'd always send you the best picture of themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. And then you finally meet these people and you're like, oh, I mean, you're, you're kind of different, you know? Right. You and, worked hard on that, didn't you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or just like different things. Recently, we had our friend Kevin uh, here with us. Kevin, mm-hmm. the Dapper Man. Uh, check out the Dapper Man YouTube channel. Real good guy. He's a fantastic guy. and uh, But Kevin, when he first thing, I, I go to pick him up from the place he's staying at here in Shreveport when he came to visit us. And he goes, wow, I, I thought you were taller. <laughs> he had this mentality that I was a, a good foot taller. Now, I'm not a short guy. I'm, no. I'm five foot 11. Yeah. But in his mind, just because of his, the persona that he saw, he thought I was a taller individual. And people outside of the digital space even, they create the, an avatar of who they think we are yeah, and who we think we're not. Right. And... Um, I think that you hit it. Being willing to serve, it's showing a, it's being vulnerable to people. Open up, this is Absolutely. who I am, 
And and like poor Roberta in the story, like she didn't have a chance to do that. Her friends just like, oh, okay, whatever. Yeah, they just wrote it off immediately. Just snubbed her. And um, like I said, you see this happening a lot even. Uh, I remember years ago hanging out with some friends of mine uh, who are um, like first and second generation uh, Latinos. And they talked about the struggle of like how having family members who have done well and gone on to to do well uh, here in the States. And then there's family members who are still kind of in the hoods of their neighborhoods mm -hmm. and going, what, you think you're better than us now? Just because you make money, because you do all this stuff. And and I remember my friends going, to a degree, you want to say, yeah, I think I am better. Because, <laughs> and then what it boils down to, and what my, my, what my friend said was, I think I'm better only because of the fact that I refuse to live at a victim mentality. Right. And, right. and they said the sad thing is their family members don't have to live in the same mentality. Right. They may not be making bank, right. but they don't have to live in a victim mentality where everything is a is uh, harming them. Right. You don't have to sabotage the relationships around you. Through exactly. That. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I think it's a, a good um, conversation piece here dealing with that of, you know, Maybe we shouldn't judge people so quickly. Yeah. Just because they've left the neighborhood. Maybe they're doing a little better. Maybe they're doing something a little differently right. than what you've known them to do. All right. Talking about judging people, that's kind of another idea is that if you want to take pick up on the on the good side of things. Right. That Tommy is the antithesis of judging people. Right. He is willing to reach out and redeem the wrongdoer. Exactly. And I think that was another thing that was a really strong theme of what I saw saw out of that. Right. Is that you know, Tommy is almost convicting. Here's this guy who's Who's you no? Know, who was just in front of his house with a burning cross? Mm. But he has an opportunity now that he has a broken arm. Right. That hey, you're the man now. You got to still be in the picture, and right. I'm gonna teach you how. I'm gonna teach you how to do what I do, right. and to take my place even. Exactly. But what's even better about Tommy though isn't just that he's willing to redeem. He took a moment to step back and really examine the, the situation. Um, and the scene that he's talking, that Carlos is talking about, you see them, um, they're, they're doing the stuff and Roberta's like, Hey, why are you doing this? He's the one that tried to throw the bomb into our house. And, um, Tommy goes, is that true? And Chuck's like, yeah, yeah I, Chuck I owned it. Yeah, I he did. Chuck credit for that. He owned it. And, and he sadly, like he, like you tell, he's had grief. And what was great is Tommy in that moment goes, wait a minute, this kid is a great thrower. He's a natural thrower. We have massive windows. And he looks at Chuck and goes, did you miss on purpose? And he goes, yeah, I did. And in that moment, Tommy's not only giving him the opportunity to redeem himself, but he's going, I see the struggle in you. Right. I see what you're dealing with. Yeah, he sees the fight that he's, that he's in. Right. And he's having not just um, forgiveness, but mercy. Yeah. And he's given an opportunity to grow. Yeah. Which is really interesting. I think that we need that more in society. We're giving people opportunity to grow past the situation they're in. Right. And right. going, man, it's a, I mean, it's a terrible situation. Yeah. Again, we talked about earlier, like it's kind of muddy. Yeah. And these are kids. Yeah. These are kids. And, and Chuck is in a very muddy situation. Yeah. How do you go? This is a person who has loved me and cared for me and taken care of me all my life. Right. They're an evil, hateful individual. Right. Like that's really hard. He can't draw that, that, that delineates that demarcation because he's seen both sides of his uncle. Exactly. And he's truly con conflicted. And what I also see in Tommy is the propensity to avoid bitterness. Right. And that's something else that I thought thought about too, is that you can be a person because of the wrongdoings of others. Mm -hmm. And they could be they could be wrong with two left shoes. Right. They can be completely wrong, but your reaction to their wrong will determine the type of person that you are. And Tommy refuses to go down the path of bitterness. Exactly. He refuses to go there. Right. 
You know, and this too, and I think it's too his good. It's also the Chuck's good because Chuck has a path of redemption, right? And it's also to his little sister's good mm -hmm. because she can see past the wrong that Chuck has done and able to see things more the way that her big brother does. Exactly, exactly. So another interesting aspect that takes place in this book, I think, is um, with dealing with Superman's arc, where yeah. um, his parents, whether it's the Vision or whatever. They keep asking, why do you only be half of who you are? This is a real struggle I see with uh, people with who are coming from different cultures, coming to uh, the States, or growing, coming out of a neighborhood and going into another neighborhood, and people accuse them, like, why are you trying to act so... Right. You know, yeah. whatever. Trying to act white. Trying to act this, act that. You know, or, you know, why are you trying to be so American? You Don't you understand you are Mexican? You're Chinese and stuff like that. That's a real struggle people yeah. have. Mm -hmm. And here's Clark. And he's he knows nothing else. Like, this is what I, I find interesting about Clark's character, as opposed to uh, a character like Roberta, who grew up in her culture. Right. Clark, Kal-El, Superman, he grew up yeah. in a culture that is completely alien to his quote-unquote race yeah, his origin yeah and now he's being confronted and i do you do see a struggle where people who are who maybe are second third fourth generation american and they are struggling with the concept of well, what's my culture right how, how do i yeah how do i balance the way that i was raised with the way that my family or my ancestors or what my my genie genealogy is what my identity is through through my dna right you know and there's yeah how do i balance that right how do we honor our culture, our our past, and still be who we are today? Yeah, you know, I, you know, people who watch our show regularly, they know, um, you know, I'm I'm, I'm part Latino, uh, many generations back. You know, I'm like 25. percent uh, I like tacos and I yep. like a lot of stuff in the Latin culture, but I'm I can't stand up and go I'm Mexican because right. I didn't grow up in the culture of that. Right. I'm an American. I have a lot of stuff that's happening in my background. I'm, I got, I got some Mexican culture. We have some Latina or some Italian stuff going on here. We have just Southern culture, which yeah. is a thing. Welcome to the South. <laughs> you know, uh, I grew up in in the Midwest, up in Missouri and Texas, and so there's a lot of that. I'm kind of an amalgam mm -hmm. of many cultures and mindsets, and that's how to come together form who I am. Right. And you can buy that with geek culture. Yeah, geek culture is a whole other aspect. It is. It is. <laughs> And so I see through a lens differently. And so to go, well, who do I represent? Right. You know, that's a, it's an identity conversation yeah. now. And that's when you got to know who you are right. because who you are is a combination of all those things. Right. And we have to learn that we don't have to be a compartment. Right. That we don't have to, I can't, I can't say, well, because I'm black, I have to think this way, look this way, right. act this way, or, or hold to this certain xyz whatever it is mm -hmm. i have to understand the the sum of my parts make make me who i am exactly you know having having an identity and and me being not just black me being a father me being a christian me being a husband right me being a worker me being a leader me being an elder things right. like that. the the sum of a uh, sum of my parts make me who i am right. and it's not just one of those compartments right it's those things combined combined together right. that makes it i mean it's almost like it's the voltron issue, yeah you know? exactly <laughs> No, just no slap Voltron together, you know. Individually, you got this and this going on, but once you put it all together, you got a bigger picture. Exactly. And you have to realize that you don't have to compartmentalize yourself into into one thing that you no know, God make you uniquely wonderful. Right. And those things, 
those things can be intentional. Right. Now, there is an aspect, because we, you and I, as men who, who believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, mm-hmm. as people who are who profess to be Christians, we do have to have a standard of certain things. And I think there is a there is a, a, a trap that some Christians fall into, of uh, going, well, yes, under, under the cross, everything's stripped away. There's no longer Jew nor Greek. There's only those who follow Jesus Christ, right? right. But sometimes we confuse... Southern Christianity for Christianity, right? Yankee Christianity for Yankee for or American Western Christianity, right? Christianity. Black Christianity to Christianity, right? Or Mexican Christianity. Like I, again, I've again, I've, my time in Texas I hung up with a lot of Latinos, and um, the now you and I we, we go to an Assembly God Church, mm-hmm. and I tell people if you want to see what an Assembly God Church is, you will have to visit every single one in the nation because we're all different, very different. We all have a different thing, but. Um, the Latino culture, they hold very strongly to some of the, the traditions from Mexico, which is very Catholic based. And yep. so when you walk into some Mexican churches, they are, um, they're very different yeah. Yeah. and they go kind of one, two ways. Either one, they're super anti that looks anything like it's came from the Catholic faith and some that are still pretty much in that mindset. Right. Yeah. And, um, but dealing with that, you know, there's still this divide of, well, what does the word of God say? Right. And at any point in time, when we have a cultural issue that um, is counter the word of God, that's where we have to make a change. Right. We have to resort to the standard because first and foremost, foremost, I am I'm made in the image of God, and my identity right. can only be properly reflected and channeled through through Him, who He made me to be. Right. Because He's the one that has the purpose for my life. Exactly. And everything else falls into place after that. I was talking with a guy who who comes from some Irish descent. His entire family is Irish. I mean, they are, I mean, somewhere in their t- pipeline, there's a leprechaun, I'm sure. And, <laughs> <laughs> and this is a dude, like, he wears, like, a Lucky Charms. Like, he, he owns it, man. That's beautiful. But he also, he struggled with alcoholism. And drinking heavily, and I was talking with him because he was a believer in Jesus Christ. He's like, "Well, I mean, I'm Irish. We're supposed to drink." I'm like, "No, no, we're you're yeah, you're Irish, but you're a man of God." Yeah, first and, and foremost, and the Word of God says, "Do not be drunk." Yeah, so you have to come to the terms: is your culture godly or not? In the Word of God, we have people who lived a culture of sin, mm-hmm. and they had to go through identity change to yeah. a degree. They've met encounter God, and they changed the way they thought, changed the way they did things. Were they different people? No. No. They were still these people, but now they lived according to the word of God. Right. And I think that's the struggle for a lot of people and um, that we have to deal with um, is as Christians, we stand by the word of God, but yeah, still honor your culture, honor your her- your heritage yeah. that you have. My culture was, you no, know, God is intentional. He knew how I was going to be born, when I was going to be born, where I was going to be born to, right. where and how I was going to be raised. He knows that. Mm-hmm. And there are aspects of that that are used for his purposes. Right. But we can't put the cart before the horse. We have to understand, we have to understand that his standard he is the standard bearer and that his standard comes first before anything else. Right. And everything, everything that follows behind that are simply tools right. for him to use even for his purposes. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, are there any last things you want to talk about with some of the deeper conversations from it? I know there's a lot to the there's book. A, there's man. a lot to the book. There's a lot to it. And I'm waiting to see, um, you know, 
the the assertive position that the black detective takes. Mm-hmm. Um, you do see um, even with Perry in the paper that they really don't take him seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, he here's a guy who's a leader, who's a detective in the police force, and and he has to be able to get his arms around this KKK problem. Right. But nobody seems to take him as seriously as they need to because he's black. Right. And, you know, and just in that time period, that post World War II time period, that's right. something he's. Gonna, and so I'm waiting to see how that's gonna how that's gonna play itself mm-hmm. out. Because think, he's trying to do the best he can, right? But he's he's getting a lot of walls, and not always intentional walls. Like right. you are with the KKK, but just with, with Perry, just things he's not even thinking right. about. I think Perry represents just the average American. Like I'm just gonna go and do this. Well, we're not thinking about the legal right. ramifications right. of things, you know. Yeah, and you know, and just somebody that maybe that's not completely in in tune with what's happening. You know, he's kind of buried into his work, mm-hmm. and he's not seeing. The, the social side of it or right. the legal side. He's not seeing all that. He's trying to do the right thing, but he's not seeing the bigger picture. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I do want to point out this. If you guys get the books, I want to encourage you. Sometimes when you get the graphic novels, people will skip the, the intro Don't and the outro stuff. You need to read these little dissertations that Yang does on the back end of these things. The yeah. first one he talks about the Chinese immigrant and what life was like for, for Chinese people when they first came to the States. In this book, he goes into some of the conversations about take place stuff that takes place in World War II. He talks about um, how uh, there was kind of a cultural shift that when um, at one point there was you know all the characters of the China, of Chinese individuals with the slant eyes and they're always the evil uh, deceiving individual and um, and people begin to treat them like that and then World War II hits yeah and then we have a shift in the culture where. Chinese people were, were they were our best friends for a while right. during World War II. And all of a sudden, uh, in publications, like in the comic books and in media, you see a shift where the evil was no longer a Chinese individual, but a Japanese individual. Yeah. And what was interesting was he points out there was an article in a, uh, I forget what magazine it was, but um, where they actually did a thing. It's on that page right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they did an article where they go, how to identify friend from foe and basically teaching people how to identify Chinese individuals yeah. from Japanese individuals. Yeah. yeah. And um, again, it was, it was a, it's a huge racial shift. Yeah. And, uh, and while Yang is kind of, you know, you know, it was good for the Chinese people, for the Japanese people, it got really bad. Yeah. All of a sudden, uh, we have internment camps across the nation for Japanese Americans, not for German Americans or anybody else who joined the Axis, but just the Japanese individuals. Yep. yep. Of course, we took we took it pretty personal. I mean, when they bombed Pearl, Japan's the ones who bombed Pearl Harbor, uh, but we. And I, I haven't done enough research. I'm not. Um, I haven't done enough to research into it, but I'm told they weren't to the extreme of the concentration camps. Right, no, no. But they were still lockdown camps for Japanese individuals. And I want to encourage you guys, I want you guys, for reals, read these books. Yeah. Get, yeah read read these articles. There's a lot of meat. There's a lot of meat on the other side of the story. Man, it's so, like, it, it helps, it enhances the story so much that you're reading. Right. Well, you understand the motives behind the writers and where they're trying to go. And they're not just trying to tell a story. Right. They're trying to get you to understand a concept and a principle. Right. Um, you know, as Christians, we look at the Word of God, and one of the things I tell people when I'm teaching them about how to read the Bible is ask questions. What's the context? What's happening here? And sometimes it's hard, but this book does a great job it of does. providing all that for you. Looking forward to part three. Absolutely.
All right, guys. Well, that's today's episode of Com Talk. We hope you enjoyed it. We encourage you guys to please check out all of our stuff. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Look for Geek Devotions. Also, encourage you to, uh, if you found this conversation interesting, share it out with some individuals. Uh, I really feel like that these conversations that we've been having have, um, I think that they can challenge the thinking of some absolutely. individuals. Absolutely, we need to be challenged. Yeah, absolutely. And I think not just across the board on all sides. I think it will challenge a lot of individuals. In a healthy way. Yeah. And uh, so please share it out and leave a review also on Apple Podcasts. Um, leaving a review on, on Apple Podcasts lets people know what the show's about and helps to encourage people to maybe check it out. And yes. uh, and helps Google go, hey, I'm not Google, Apple go, hey, this is a good podcast. You should check it out. Yeah, It's, it's worth <laughs> it. You have to convince them it's worth it. Right. So um, in case you guys haven't noticed, we're ramping up more stuff with here at Geek Devotions. Um, we're, we're in the process of doing a few things uh, as far as with our website, with our store that we have. Uh, geekdevotions.com is where you can visit our, our, our website. Um, our podcast is one of those things that Celeste and I are really working hard to progress and make better. Right. And so part of that is having more regular podcasts at least twice a month. Now, right now, we're kind of in a season where we have one every single week. Uh, that's going to slow down. We're going to go back to twice a month here soon. Um, we're going to have uh, what we call the lost episodes coming up. Because <laughs> <laughs> going to be interesting. Yeah, well, we lost, uh, we lost. If you go back our feed, you guys don't see episodes 13 and down to episode one. And it's because we switched to podcast host and our previous podcast host is not nice. So we, uh, we're, we're doing that. Uh, we had a good friend, John Haru, who is the... Uh, podcast host and also I say ho- not not the hosting of it but he's like the host of a podcast called Playing Games with Strangers which Celeste is on and John uh, worked some podcast magic and he obtained for us the recordings of all 13 episodes that we have lost oh go John so, so John you're my hero I know you're listening or you're watching and thank you so we're going to be po- posting these up check out Playing Games with Strangers links in the description down below uh, so uh, we got that going on. Uh, Branson Boykin, uh, is he's got his B's Views and Reviews, where once a month he's reviewing family-friendly comics. Wonderful. And uh, so that's going to be a thing. And then, of course, we're also, hopefully next month, um, have Carlos back on to talk about book number three. Yes. And yes. I'm excited about it because this book really does leave you with a cliffhanger. And it I'm really like, does. I need to finish the story. It's very well developed. Very well. Um, I didn't mean to say this because, it just disclaimers, we're not being paid to review these books. No. These yeah. books weren't given to us. At least nobody told me. Uh, <laughs> I haven't gotten into that. Uh, Patreon, thanks to our patrons, we were able to uh, purchase uh, a copy for Carlos here. So thank you guys for for helping that out with that. And uh, if you want to be a patron, if you want to help support Geek Devotions, again, visit our website, geekdevotions.com, where for as little as a dollar a month, you can become one of our monthly patrons. Or you can do a one-time gift through PayPal. So... That's a thing that takes place. Yeah, it does. It does. And so, um, Carlos, is there anything we sh- you want to add less as we close up before we, we do everything else? Um, I'm looking forward to part three. Uh, I think I think they're doing a good job developing the story. They're not interjecting mm-hmm. um, anything other than what the story demands for the time period. And right. I think it's going to be... I'm looking forward to how they they wrap up the lessons that are taught here. And they're doing, they're doing it really well. And they're doing it in such a, a compact... Right. The compact form factor is really working well. Absolutely. I'm not going to lie. I I'm, I'm, can't wait to finish book three, but I kind of want DC to do more of these. Yeah. I want them to take more interesting stories like this, keep it in the context of the of the, of the year that came out in, Yeah, 
and do these because this was really fascinating yeah, and let people decide yeah absolutely yeah. All right, cool. Well, guys, um, again, like that's, I said, that's all we got. Uh, if you want to check out Carlos, he does have uh, a podcast that we're, he's working in the background diligently. We're to relaunch uh, hopefully in the next couple of months. It's yep. called Healing Truth Ministries. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, where can they follow you on Instagram? Oh, they can follow me at Healing Truth, O-R-G, Healing Truth Org. You can find that on Instagram or you can find that on Twitter. Okay, sweet. So check him out, follow him, uh, send him messages and tell him how amazing he is and uh, and tell him how much you can't wait for his podcast to come back because I can't. <laughs> Hopefully, it's, it's in the works. We have we have quite a few bumps and hiccups, but right. we're, man, it, it there must be something good, man, because it's been so much work just getting things lined up to get right. it off the ground. I understand the struggle, man. You're uh, you do great work with your podcast, and you do great work with other things. Uh, as a elder at our church, uh, you do a lot of stuff. You do a lot behind the scenes. You've been a great friend for Celeste and I, helping us get stuff done over the years and uh man i just appreciate you taking your time to to geek out with me and it's talk great. about this comic book it's, it's been valuable <laughs> and it scratches the itch of mine i like it awesome very good well guys again take a look at us on uh leave a review for us on on apple Podcasts. check all of our social media and until next time remember stay devoted peace and love <laughs>